Section 8 of the Tribune of Nova Scotia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gilles Leblanc. The Tribune of Nova Scotia, a chronicle of Joseph Howe by William Lawson Grant. Baffled Hopes, Part 2. There can be no doubt that if he had gone to Charlottetown in Quebec as one of the delegates, he would have thrown himself heartily into the project, and left his mark on the proposed constitution. It galled him that the Quebec scheme had been completed to the minutest detail, and published to the world, without any assistance from himself. He soon found that the people of the maritime provinces generally were averse to the scheme, and that many were already arrayed in downright opposition to it. What was he to do? he paused for a little two courses were open one noble one less noble not only in youth has hercules's choice to be made stern principle called on him to take one course a hundred pleasant voices called on the other side was he to be the lieutenant of dr tupper the man who had taken the popular breeze out of his sails who had politically annihilated him for a time with whom too his contest had been mainly personal for no great political question had been involved between them or was he to put himself at the head of old friends and old foes regain his proper place and steer the ship in his own fashion and the circumstances only a hero could have done his duty there are few heroes in the world and it is doubtful if modern statecraft conduces to make them men heroic and howe was an egoist friends and colleagues had known his weakness before but had scarce ventured to speak of it in public in his cabinets he had suffered no rival to those who submitted he was sweet as summer he would give everything to or for them keeping nothing for himself they might have the pelf if he had the power proposals that did not emanate from himself got scant justice in council or caucus this egoism which long feeding on popular applause had developed into a vanity almost incomprehensible in one so strong was not known to the outside world but now in his hour of trial his sin had found him out the real reason of his opposition was given in his savage words to a friend i will not play second fiddle to that damned topper but the egoist was also a bonny fighter he flung himself into the fray as wild with excitement as any soldier on a stricken field with every artifice of the order he wrought the people of nova scotia to madness it was poor stuff most of it coarse jokes recrimination crowd-catching claptrap eighty cents per head of population was according to the agreement to be the subsidy from the federal to the provincial government we are sold for the price of a sheepskin was howe's slogan on a hundred platforms dr tupper had passed a measure instituting compulsory primary education based on direct local assessment in his heart of hearts howe knew that it was a noble measure such as he himself had wished to introduce but dared not yet he did not scruple to play upon the hatred of the farmer against direct taxation instead of rousing as of old their love of nova scotia till it included all british north america and widened ever outward till the whole empire was within 
he made of it a bitter selfish thing localism and provincialism incarnate yet as an orator he was supreme darkened so yet shone above them all the archangel when the ablest speakers on behalf of federation met him on the platform they were swept away in the blast of his ridicule and his passion in the midst of it his nobler self shone out again the reciprocity treaty between canada and the united states negotiated by lord elgin in eighteen fifty four had been denounced by the government of the united states to discuss this action a great convention of representatives of the boards of trade and other commercial bodies of the northern and western states met in detroit in august eighteen sixty five and was visited by canadian delegates of whom howe was one on the fourteenth of august he spoke as the representative of the british north american provinces the audience at first was hostile gradually the skill and fire of the orator warmed them at the last these hundreds of hard-headed businessmen rose spontaneously to their feet and amid tumultuous cheering by a unanimous standing vote passed a resolution recommending the renewal of the treaty seldom can orator have won a more signal triumph for a time his anti-federation campaign went merrily and received an impetus from the defeat in eighteen sixty five of the pro-federation government of new brunswick but howe reckoned without the unflinching will of tupper a political bulldog with a touch of fox though the province was obviously against him the conservative leader had a majority in the legislature in his favour that this majority had been elected on other issues and that the proper constitutional course was to consult the people mattered not to him here was a big thing to do and he was not the man to be squeamish on a point of constitutional correctness he held his majority together by the strong hand in eighteen sixty six he succeeded in getting a resolution passed authorizing the sending of delegates to arrange with the imperial government a scheme of union which will effectively ensure just provisions for the rights and interests of the province the quebec resolutions were not mentioned but it was to support the quebec resolutions that the delegates went howe also visited london and endeavoured to sidetrack the federation scheme by a revival of his old idea of an organic union of the empire with colonial representation in the imperial parliament to the pamphlet in which he put forward his views tupper published a smashing reply which consisted solely of extracts from howe's own previous speeches in favour of british north american union against howe he set howe and seldom was an opponent more effectively demolished meanwhile conferences between the representatives of canada new brunswick and nova scotia presided over by the british secretary of the state for the colonies wrought out the british north america act in march eighteen sixty seven it became law and on the first of july eighteen sixty seven it came into force what was nova scotia to do at the first election subsequent to federation among the nineteen nova scotian delegates tupper alone of the conservatives was elected eighteen others with howe at their head went to ottawa pledged to secure repeal in the local house of thirty-eight members two only supported federation howe had his majority but what was he to do with it repeal could come only from england and to england howe went 
one good argument he had and one only that tupper had refused to consult the electorate on a question involving their whole constitutional status as a province that as he put it they had been entrapped into a revolution with the aid of this he won the support of the great english orator john bright and had the matter brought up in the house of commons but bright's motion for a committee of investigation was voted down by an overwhelming majority meanwhile tupper with fine courage had followed him to london and had made his first call upon howe himself howe was not at home but tupper left his card and howe returned the call over forty years later the veteran now sir charles tupper told in his recollections the story of their interview i can't say that i am glad to see you said howe but we must make the best of it when you fail in the mission that sent you here said tupper when you find out the imperial government and parliament are overwhelmingly against you what then howe replied i have eight hundred men in each county in nova scotia who will take an oath that they will never pay a cent of taxation to the dominion and i defy the government to enforce confederation you have no power of taxation howe tupper replied and in a few years you will have every sensible man cursing you as there will be no money for schools roads or bridges i will not ask that troops be sent to nova scotia but i shall recommend that if the people refuse to obey the law that the federal subsidy be withheld howe he continued you have a majority at your back but if you will enter the cabinet and assist in carrying on the work of confederation you will find me as strong a supporter as i have been an opponent two hours of free and frank discussion followed writes tupper that very night tupper wrote to sir john macdonald that he thought howe would join the dominion cabinet on his return to nova scotia howe found that the extreme repealers in the local legislature were talking secession and hinting at annexation to the united states he could countenance neither the son of the loyalist was loyal at the last the whole province was like tinder a spark would have kindled the fire that would have ruined it or thrown it back ten or twenty years howe trampled the spark under his feet meanwhile in ottawa an unrivalled political tactician was watching the situation while the fever in nova scotia was at its height sir john macdonald had refused to say a word now that the fever had run its course now that the one able leader of the repeal cause realized the impasse into which he had brought his beloved province macdonald saw that it was the time for him from the nettle danger to pluck the flower safety he entered into negotiations with howe employing all his art and all his sagacity clearly he put the choice nova scotia was in the dominion and the only way out led direct to washington was not the only possible course for the greatest nova scotian to sink his personal feelings and to join in giving to nova scotia her due part in a nation stretching from sea to sea and from the arctic to the great lakes puissant and loyal beneath the flag of britain against this conclusion howe fought hard it meant for him an act of inconsistency which he well knew his recent allies would stigmatize as apostasy but the logic of the situation was too strong for him and with noble self-sacrifice he faced it 
in january eighteen sixty nine he entered the cabinet of sir john macdonald and by so doing won for nova scotia the better financial terms which removed her most tangible grievance by this time most of the leaders of the repeal party were ready for this step even though their followers were not had howe sunk his egoism and consulted them before he crossed the rubicon had there been no telegraph between ottawa and halifax so that he could have come personally and have been the first to explain to them the improved financial terms which he had won and the necessity of his entering the cabinet as a pledge of his sincerity they would probably have been satisfied but the telegraph spoiled all especially as there were men in the local legislature who were fretting against his leadership they felt themselves to be in a false position from which they could escape by making how the scapegoat for ten days the only fact that was made to stand out before all eyes was that the leader of the anti-confederate and repeal party had taken office under sir john macdonald the cry was raised howe has sold himself howe is a traitor they condemned him unheard when he returned to halifax old friends crossed the street to avoid speaking to him and young friends who once would have felt honoured by a word walked as close before or behind him as possible that he might hear their insults he was getting old during his labours in eighteen sixty six in england bronchitis had fastened on him and now the love and trust of the people that which had been the breath of his nostrils failed him utterly having accepted cabinet rank he had to resign his seat in hans county and to appeal to his constituents for re-election the result was the fiercest fight in the history of the province money was openly lavished by both sides howe fought well but his health gave way and for the first time in his life his buoyancy and courage deserted him finally at a little village where he and a prominent opponent were to face each other howe broke down and sent a friend to ask his antagonist to postpone the meeting why must it be postponed was the reply sir to speak to-night would kill mr howe damn him that's what we want was the fierce reply symbolic of the merciless spirit of the contest howe dragged himself to the platform too ill to stand eventually he gained his election but his health was shattered and he was never the old joe howe again then came the end in the cabinet he was not a success he represented a small province with few votes and even so he shared the leadership with tupper to sir john macdonald too intent on a few great ends to have any place for unprofitable sentiment the weary titan was of less account than half a dozen quebec or ontario members with less than one-tenth of his ability but with twice the number of votes in their control how chafed under macdonald's drastic though kindly sway and by impetuous outbreaks more than once got the government into trouble late in eighteen sixty nine he was sent to the red river settlement in the hope of smoothing out the difficulties there he did no good still further weakened his health and on his return was involved in a bitter quarrel with one of his colleagues the hon william mcdougall in eighteen seventy two he shared with tupper the triumph of carrying in favour of the conservative party eighteen of the nineteen seats in nova scotia and of finally silencing the cry of repeal 
in may eighteen seventy three his failing health led to his being appointed lieutenant governor of nova scotia he died suddenly on the first of june eighteen seventy three here with a few words we close our sketch of this man the greatest that nova scotia has produced judging him not by single acts as no one ever should be judged but by his life as a whole he may be called a great man his honesty of purpose and love of country his creative faculty width of view and power of will combined entitle him to be called a great statesman he was more than a politician and more than an orator he had qualities that made men willing to follow him even when they did not see where they were going or only saw that they were going in a direction different from their former course steering in the teeth of former professions he bade them have patience for he was tacking and they believed him true they were swayed by his eloquence and gladdened by his sympathy and his humour the fascination of the orator thrilled them but had they not believed that at bottom he was sincere the charm would soon have ceased to work as it was they followed him as few parties have ever followed a leader men followed him against their own interests against their own church against their own prejudices and convictions episcopalians fought by his side against the church of england baptists fought with him against the demands of their denomination roman catholics stood by him when he assailed the doctrines of their church though he was merciless in conflict bitterness did not dwell in his heart he was always willing to shake hands in true english fashion when the war was over if friends expostulated about the generosity of his language or actions to political opponents oh what's the use he would reply he has got a pretty wife or he's not such a bad fellow after all or life is too short to keep that sort of thing up he was generous partly because he felt he could afford it for he had boundless confidence in his own resources this self-confidence gave him a hearty cheery manner no matter what straits he was in that acted on his followers like wine the one thing lacking was that he had not wholly subordinated self to duty and to god he was immersed in active engagements and all the cares of life from early years he was capable of enjoying and he did enjoy without stint every sweet cup that was presented to his lips he was conscious of great powers that never seemed to fail him but enabled him to rise with the occasion ever higher and higher small wonder then that he cast himself as a strong swimmer into the boiling currents of life little caring whither they bore him because proudly confident that he could hold his own or at any rate regain the shore whenever he liked a thorough intellectual training would have done much for him the discipline of a university career enables even a young man to know somewhat of his own strength and weakness especially somewhat of his own awful ignorance and self-knowledge leads to self-control circumstances put this beyond his reach but something more excellent than even a college was within his reach had he only been wise enough to understand and possess it as his own in his father he had a pattern of things in the heavens a life in which law and freedom meant the same thing in which the harmony between his own will and the will of god gave unity harmony and nobleness to life and life's work the teaching of the old loyalist's life 
was the eternal teaching of the stars like as a star that maketh not haste that taketh not rest let each be fulfilling his god-given hest but the veins of the sun were full of blood and his bones moistened with marrow passion spoke in his soul and he heard and loved the sweet voices of nature and of men and women not that the whispers of heaven were unheard no nor were they disregarded but they were not absolutely and implicitly obeyed and so like the vast crowd all through life he was partly the creature of impulse and partly the servant of principle often it would have been difficult for himself to say which was uppermost in him had he attained to unity and harmony of nature he could have been a poet or a statesman of the old heroic type but he did not attain for he did not seek with the whole heart and he puzzled others because he had never read the riddle of himself all nova scotians are glad that he spent his last days in government house it was an honour he himself felt to be his due a light though it were but the light of a wintry sun that fell on his declining days many old friends flocked to see him and the meetings were sometimes very touching an old follower one who had never failed him came to pay his tribute of glad homage his chief had reached a haven of rest and the height of his ambition when the door was opened the governor was at the other end of the room he turned and the two recognized each other not a word was spoken the rugged face of the liegeman was tremulous he looked round yes it was actually old government house and his chief was in possession after all the storms and disappointments it had actually come to this the two men drew near and as hand touched hand the two heads bowed together and without a word they embraced as two children would are there many such little wells of poetry in the arid wilderness of political life on the day of his arrival in halifax a true and tried relative called well joseph what would your old father have thought of this yes was the answer it would have pleased the old man i have had a long fight for it and have stormed the castle at last but now that i have it what does it all amount to i shall be here but a few days and instead of playing governor i feel like saying with wolsey to the abbot of leicester an old man broken with the storms of state is come to lay his weary bones among ye give him a little earth for charity that was almost all that was given him the only levy he held in government house was after his death when he lay in state and thousands crowded round to take a long last look at their old idol on the morning after howe's death a wealthy halifax merchant one who had been a devoted friend of his saw as he was entering his place of business a farmer or drover one well known for homespun without and a warm heart within sitting on a box outside near the door his head leaning on his hand his foot monotonously swinging to and fro looking as if he had sat there for hours and had no intention of getting up in a hurry well stephen what's the matter oh nothing was the dull response is it how was the next question in a softer tone the sound of the name unsealed the fountain yes it's how the words came with a gulp 
and then followed tears dropping on the pavement large and fast he did not weep alone in many a hamlet in many a fishing village in many a nook and corner of nova scotia as the news went over the land joseph howe had the same tribute of tears vex not his ghost oh let him pass he hates him that would upon the rack of this rough world stretch him out longer he sleeps in camp hill cemetery not far from the pines and salt sea water of his boyhood a column of nova scotian granite marking his resting-place and his memory abides in the hearts of thousands of its countrymen end of section eight end of the tribune of nova scotia a chronicle of joseph howe by william lawson grant